Well, thank you for joining me today on Financially Speaking. My name is Mitch Slater, and I'm a Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor with UBS Wealth Management in Westfield, New Jersey, where along with my partners, Anne and Crystal, we do our best to bring you advice beyond investing and address our clients' most challenging financial needs. It's my sincere hope that each and every episode of this podcast will educate you on personal finance and real-world business issues of the day. So let's jump right in. You know, the best predictor of how financially successful your children will be in life may not be an IQ test or an SAT score, but how long they can resist popping marshmallows into their mouths. You're wondering what I'm talking about. Well, Stanford researcher Walter Michel began his research on the long-term effects of delayed gratification in the 1960s. He studied the behavior of four-year-olds tempted by plates of marshmallows. His team asked kids not to eat marshmallows left on a table until an adult returned to the room 15 minutes later, at which time they were told they'd each be allowed to eat two. Now, as expected, some children ate a marshmallow right away. That would have been me, by the way. Some waited a while before giving in. Some were able to wait the full 15 minutes. Now, he followed the children until after they graduated from high school. He discovered that delayed gratification at an early age ended up with higher incomes, more successful marriages, greater career satisfaction, better health, and more fulfilling lives. The quick marshmallow grabbers continued to struggle to subordinate impulses and exhibited behavioral problems. The study found that the children who waited the 15 minutes for marshmallows scored about 210 points higher on their SAT tests than the children who could wait only 30 seconds. You know, as parents, we obviously want to nail the important lesson, like this one about the value of delayed gratification. Experience, rather than lectures, is the way to drive the point home. So at a time when kids have more debt and temptation than ever, comes a completely revised and updated edition of the number one New York Times bestseller on teaching children aged 3 to 20 about money, Money Doesn't Grow on Trees. It's the book that parents have turned to for the last two decades when it comes to teaching their children about money. With over 200,000 young adults between the ages of 18 and 24 declaring bankruptcy last year alone, and college students graduating with an average of $28,000 in debt, Neil Godfrey is the definitive expert on the subject, and her time-tested advice is more important now than ever. Now, Neil truly was the creator of the actual topic, Kids and Money, and a trailblazer for financial literacy across the globe. She was one of the first female executives at the world's largest bank, Chase Manhattan, and also was a regular on The Oprah Winfrey Show and a regular guest on The Today Show and CNBC Power Lunch and CNN and many other networks. But in this book, and she has 27 and working on 28, which we'll get to, Money Doesn't Grow on Trees offers exercises and concrete examples on everything from responsible budgeting to understanding the difference between want and need for children of every age. The revised edition includes entirely new sections that discuss the power of the internet and social media. It also shows Neil's years of experience as a mother, now a grandmother, and a financial expert. Neil also has headlined her very own PBS special, Your Money, Your Children, Your Life, with a cameo by my then 12-year-old son, Harrison, who's now 26. And on that personal note, Neil is not only a close friend, but was a mentor to me and my wife with our kids. And they are, as Bruce Springsteen sings, you know, I always have to throw him in once, our living proof she got it right. So 
finally welcome Neil to Financially Speaking. I am so thrilled to be here, Mitch. I raised you from a pup, as far as I'm concerned. Harrison was four years old, right? Correct. You were doing the radio show, and I was there teaching him about financial literacy Mm -hmm. a few years ago. Yeah, and if it wasn't for a blizzard, we probably would never have met, actually. (laughs) We were doing, doing a radio show in Morristown, New Jersey. My guest canceled. I had this book that someone had given me, Money Doesn't Grow on Trees. I found out this is even before Google, that the woman lived in New Jersey, called her up, and she drove over to the station on a snowy Saturday back in 1993, and that's how we originally met. So when you wrote this book back in the 90s, could you have even imagined how much harder parenting would get? No, it's hard as a parent and now as a grandparent to imagine how it can get even harder. There are more choices, There are more pulls on our time, more pulls on our kids' time. But you know what? If we don't jump in and raise them to be financially responsible and to be empowered to handle their own lives and to dream the dreams that they want and teach them how to get there, they're not going to, Mitch. You know that. Yeah. So let's start with the real little kids. So what age can parents start all of this? And and what type of things do you suggest to make it fun? Well, my big thing is parents always say, when do I start? Start when the kids say, I want, I want. Now, my theory is actually when they're, you know, little teeny, their first words are, I want. It sounds like mama and dada, but it's not. I saw this on the internet and I want it. That's really what they're saying. So when they become aware of the fact that mom and dad use money to buy things in a store, they don't get the click through, by the way, on the internet at that age. It's all magic to them. When they can actually understand that mom and dad use money or a credit card to buy something in a store, that's when to start. Hmm. So that young, so what is that, three years old, four years it's old? It's usually it? three. It's usually three, and they're going to say, I want, which is perfectly natural. And then you say, wow, you know what? Mom and dad use money in a store, and the only way we get it is to earn it. Ta-da! That's when you start it. By the one, the little ones think we're so smart, and they really like us. So why wouldn't we start those things when they're little? Why wait till they're a teenager when they really think we're lame and they're texting to their friends across the room about how lame we are? So start with them when they're actually thinking that they want to hang with us. So give us some examples of things you would start with. Okay, what I do is I set up a work-for-pay system. And the deal is you work, and money is the result of work. However, before you jump on me, you know that there are two types of chores within a household. There's citizen of the household chores where they don't get paid. Because as a good citizen, you chip in and you help. Don't get paid for that Examples? Examples, clean up your toys. When they get a little bit older, recycling. We're doing this for the greater good. So you're teaching them within the household, clean up your toys, get up on time, go to bed on time, brush your teeth. Those little things that we do as good citizens. When they're older, recycling, also cleaning up their stuff. I mean, my kids had to keep their rooms free of breeding diseases, and they didn't get paid for those things. Right. That's the kind of stuff you just pitch in. By the way, you're CEO of the household. You get to choose what those chores are. Work for pay are over and above the citizen of the household chores. So you're teaching the kids how a real household works. Dusting, vacuuming, doing the dishes, those types of chores. So once you've accomplished some of those chores, 
Typically, it's sort of the lemonade stand years. What happens then? Well, what you want to do is you're going to see if you have a budding entrepreneur, by the way. And my granddaughter and I make slime. And by the way, if anyone wants slime, get in touch with Mitch. I'm telling you, slime and candles. We have a company called Grandma and Me. Is that too (laughs) cute? Is that great? And so she, I know, is going to be heading up a corporation. So you just know with the kids, my grandson is into soccer. He doesn't, he'll play with slime, but he doesn't want to sell it. In fact, my granddaughter got busted selling slime at private school. But it was a great question. You're going to love this. Her principal called her in because she was selling slime and said, you're not allowed to sell slime in school. And my granddaughter at age eight said, what do you consider in school? So the principal said, anything within the school doors. And Mm. so she said, school doors, like when I go through the front door, that's not anymore the school Yeah. So you can imagine, I got the second call from my daughter about the fact that now she's doing contraband outside on the school. Right. Yeah. Well, makes sense to me. So Mm -hmm. if they're involved in that lemonade stand kind of mentality, encourage it. So getting back to the marshmallow story, how do you teach delaying gratification? Well, part of the whole allowance system is the earning part. The other part is the budget part. Mm. You are a financial executive. You know how hard is budget to say to any of your clients. It's an act of torture for most people. Budget and root canal are kind of in the same category. Yes. Yes, right. So make it a challenge. What I do is make it visible, make it fun, exactly what you were talking about. Get four clear plastic jars or envelopes and label them. You earned the money, you worked hard, now you're going to budget. The first jar, you know what it is, the charity jar, 10% comes off the top, and the kids have to learn to give to charity. What a wonderful lesson. And there's always so many different times and things that are happening in society Will you tell the the George's story? Will you tell my favorite story? This is a true story, and this was, I believe, after Katrina. Yep. And we had been very schooled in our house on the jar system, and, and we had the charity jar, and you know, we were had a typical night at dinner and sitting down and talking about, you know, this horrible thing that happened in New Orleans and Katrina and that, you know, what can we do? What special thing can we do as a family to help these poor people? You know, we're watching these people on top of their roofs and just so, so upset. And my daughter, who's uh, graduating from college, hard for me to believe, in a few weeks, at that point, I think was maybe seven years old, something like that, she ran upstairs, she got her charity jar, and she came down and she put it on the kitchen and the dining room table and said, I want to give my charity to the people of Katrina. And then she took it a step further and she called three of her little girlfriends and they went out in front of their house and they did a lemonade stand for Katrina and they raised some more money. And again, it sounds so obvious, but if you are not modeling this, which is how you teach in the book, you don't know about it. And that's exactly it. Get them involved. And our kids want to be involved. And she as a seven-year-old had gotten the lesson that you had taught her and felt so empowered that her money and her hard work was going to make a difference in someone's life. That's what we're talking about. So that's the first jar. Then you take the remaining amount and you divide it into thirds. So 10% goes to charity. The rest of it is 30%, 30%, 30%. The next jar is I call quick cash, instant gratification. Right. Kids worked hard. You want to have some instant gratification. 
So when you're in the grocery store and the kids are saying, I want, I want, you say, did you bring your quick cash? Now you set the overall parameters, no chocolate, no candy. Those are the rules. Beyond that, let them make their choice. Next jar, your marshmallow jar, which is pushing off instant gratification and save for something larger. And I call that medium term savings. And the whole thing, and I love that marshmallow study because it's true. I thought you were going to end it up, by the way, saying, and some of those kids figured out how to make s'mores and started their own business (laughs) because that's really where another group would go. But as I said, I would have jumped on the marshmallow, but I have a son who I know would have waited the 15 minutes. And then the way I know that is because he took that jar, that medium-term savings jar, very seriously. And at the time, he wanted to save for, this is really pre the first iPod, I guess, a boombox. Yep. And he wanted to save for that. And that's where he saved his allowance and gifts that he got from family members. And once he had a certain amount of money, he took that money and he was so proud walking into that radio shack, may it rest in peace, <laughs> and uh, and got that boombox. And you know what's interesting We are born with a financial personality. We're basically either savers or spenders. And I'm sure that you see that in your practice. Absolutely. So there's that mindset. And what's interesting is we're born with it. Because you know if you have two kids, they're never the same financial personality. No, no. And you see it in husband and wife. My brother Jeff's told the story for many years when he and his wife had their brownie business, is that, you know, he was the accelerator and his wife was the brake. And you really you needed that combination. And um I think that's also critical. And you'll see that with the kids. So the ones that are able, here's the interesting part that it's easier to get a spender to save who figures out if I save and wait a little bit, I get more marshmallows. Okay, that's cool. Then getting the saver to actually spend because that saver is a hoarder and it's actually a behavior that's a fear. They'll never do it. And they will listen to authority who's going to say, don't touch it. So there's another whole category in there. And you've seen it with your own you know, practice. Yeah. So with medium-term savings, the spenders go, whoa, I can get bigger stuff? Harrison, I can get the boombox? So what I do is I also incent those kids who are pushing off instant gratification. I do a 401k matching plan. Hmm. So if you're saving for something big like that boombox, which would be the, you know, the iPad today, that, you know what, I'll match you dollar for dollar in that to incent you also to keep saving. And what a great lesson. So they grow up and they get their first 401k plan and they sit down and they realize, wow, look at the power of compounding and look at power of matching. Yeah. And matching. If you work for a corporation and you're getting matched, sometimes dollar for dollar, not that often, but even if it's 50 cents on the dollar, and you learn that lesson early. And you know what's really sad? Only 25% of young people 
starting careers today actually sign up for the 401k program and they go, and eh, you know what? I need the money. I can't really, you know, it's like, no, 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 do yeah. it, do and it. And part of the problem is student loan debt, which we'll get into in another, another show, but student loan debt right. has grown so dramatically, you know, you know, 500%, I think in the last five years, one and a half trillion dollars could literally bring down the economy. And we should talk about and, that in you know, another yeah, show. It, yeah. Because that's I mean, a whole other thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real problem. So at least if you've had the experience of putting money away or having a parent give you the sense of what matching is, it makes a big difference. So let's talk about that long-term job. Okay, this is the big one, the long-term savings. Now, what you're doing is in the beginning, very visually, you're setting up a bank account at a real bank with the kids and explain what saving is at that real bank. Don't do it right away online. Do it first in a real physical bank. Then while they still exist, while they what you remember what a bank is, yeah. And then you show them as soon as you get home, you go online, look at your online savings account, and show the kids this is what it is. Now, does a three-year-old understand the concept of long-term savings? Absolutely, positively not. Does a ten-year-old understand the concept? of long-term savings? Absolutely, positively not. Do the adults in America understand the concept of long-term savings? Absolutely not. And I'm going to stop you right there because you have a story while you were a guest on Oprah Winfrey with your daughter, I think it was your daughter, where this exact subject came up and somebody schooled Oprah, I believe. Yeah, it was Rhett. It was great. He was seven years old. And by the way, the big trauma for him was that I made him wear a turtleneck as a seven-year-old on Oprah. It wasn't that he was in front of an audience of 30 million people with 15 cameras shoot. That was not it. It was the turtleneck. At least we focus on what's really important. And he was going through his little allowance system with Oprah, and it was really cute. And he was saying, oh, you know, I have to do these chores, and I get paid, and I'm seven years old, and I get paid $7 a week, Oprah, but I have to do all my chores, or I don't get paid. And Oprah interrupted the seven-year-old and goes, that's ridiculous. What do you mean? You have to do all your chores. Suppose you do some. You should get some of your money. And Rhett sat there, looked at Oprah, put his hand on his hip, as a seven-year-old does, and says, but Oprah, that doesn't make sense in real life, does it? You can't do part of your show and get paid part of your money. Don't you have to do your whole show to get paid all of your money? You know, Oprah, the way it works in real life. No work, no pay. At that point, I was like, woohoo. So they do get it, Mitch, because mm -hmm. you never know when kids do. We have aha moments every once in a while with our children, right. but they get it. Those are the rules. But we've got a, quite a different generation today. We've got this social media generation. And, you know, let's talk about the want versus need when kind of all it takes is a click on mom or dad's Amazon account to kind of get anything they want delivered in a few hours, maybe by a drone or, or whatever way it is. But, you know, in your revised edition of that, how are you dealing with this whole new generation? Because, I mean, I brought my kids up in the 90s and it's incredibly different already. You know, here's the deal. Every single generation that grew up had more access to goods than the generation before. Our grandparents or parents who lived through the Depression really were the ones who didn't have any access. They were on stamps. They were on rationing. They were on, they didn't. So no was no. Now, 
My generation, what you did is we had access to a lot more goods and services than our parents. And what we did is a little trick. We'd go and ask mom first, and mom would say no. And then we ran to dad. Sometimes dad would give in, or he would say, go ask your mother. And then we went circular argument, we're over. Today's generation, we give in. Do you know that there was a study that was done on the nag factor? And we found out that teenagers could nag nine times and we would give in as parents? It's like dogs barking. If my dog barks enough, I try, I try, I try. I'm not going to feed you. It's three o'clock, Brody. You're going to have to wait. But by the ninth bark, I'm feeding him. You're feeding him. And you know what? We do that with our children. So if no becomes no, and they know there's no pushback, and they don't hear and have us react to the words, it's not fair. That's a big one with us for us to give in to. We never want to be those bad parents. We don't want to be the evil parents. And by the way, we have way more disposable income than we have disposable time. Hmm. So we substitute. We've trained those kids. Here's the deal. No. Or earn the money or whatever the rules are. But don't turn around and complain about the fact that the kids are asking for stuff when they're barking at 3 o'clock in the morning. What's the difference? (laughs) So should you give kids real money to manage? Yes. By the time they're 10 years old, I want them to take their long-term savings. And frankly, I want you to be able to give them a little bit more and sit down with your financial advisor. Take them in. Mitch has dealt, you've dealt with kids and parents how long? 32 years. 32 years. Okay, specifically. And get the kids involved. I want them to understand that the stock market is not some amorphous thing that's out there. It's part of their lives. And they know what they eat and what they drink and the shoes they wear and what electronic devices they have. Get them involved in the idea that their behavior will make a difference as a consumer. And yeah, get them involved absolutely. in it. Make it and, real. And I learned actually a really great lesson from you years ago. And, you know, just sort of during the recession, sadly, in 2008 and 2009, I needed to put this to work. We felt very, very strongly about this because suddenly the income was not what it was. And obviously the portfolios weren't either. So we decided to pay our bills in front of our kids. And this is an idea that I had gotten from you. And we literally sat down there. I got a bunch of cash. I put it in one corner. And I said, all right, this is roughly what we have to pay our bills this month. Let me go through the bills. Harrison, PlayStation, this is what it costs. This is what the connection costs. This is the cable. This is our mortgage. This is what the food costs every month. This is our family vacation. And the point of it, they very quickly, they saw that, you know, we were out of money. Right. And I think kids really learn from that. They do. Because think about it behaviorally. All our kids ever see us do with money is spend it. They don't see us save. They don't see us pay bills. They don't see us give to charity. They don't see a budget. All they do is see us spend. So why wouldn't they think that money grows on trees? That's what they're watching. So you have to sit there, and I call it the bill-paying game, because it sort of is a game. We have to make those choices, Mm. and they see it. You know what? I want to get you kids to college. This has to go in there. You know what? I am going to retire. You don't have to understand what retire means. Money has to go in there. So before we close, we're talking about the kids being a little bit younger, getting a little bit older, but you have a new book coming, and it's going to deal with those older kids. 
tell us just a little tease about that, and then we certainly will have you back on to talk well, about this topic, which tease, is really critical. It's the name, or so far the working title, is Your Kids Are Stealing Your Money. Because <laughs> you know what? They are. But you're letting them do it. I mean, the first paragraph is, oh, it sounds a little harsh, but the fact of the matter is, Number one, they are stealing your money. And number two, you are encouraging them to do it. So are we going to stop any of this behavior or just keep it going? And when they get older, the bills get larger. And frankly, we do not really encourage financial literacy as they're getting older. We hand them credit cards. We let them go off to college and rack up debt. How many parents have had proactively that conversation about debt that you or they will incur to get themselves through college. Do it early. I don't want to preempt that show because yeah. I want to talk to you yeah. about that because no, it's, it's like, very, hold it's a, it, it's guys. Yes. Yeah. And so as they get older, the problems get larger. And by the way, the vast majority of kids return to hotel mom and dad after college because number one, they don't want to live in a socioeconomic level that's lower. But number two, Okay, I know about the recession, but they moved in also because they couldn't afford it. And however, they think that moving back in means you get room service, gas in the car, laundry service. And how many parents really sit down and say, okay, you are now an adult. You need to be treated as such. I will help you build that budget that I should have helped you with 20 years ago, but now it's time. So, it continues. But here's the good news. It's never too late, Mitch. You can do it. It's just easier if you do it when they're younger. Absolutely. Well, listen, this topic alone is so important. It's impossible to just capture a 20-minute podcast about the little kids, but we'll certainly come back and talk about the older kids because that's a big story. You know, Neil, you've truly been an encyclopedia when it comes to financial education for parents, for women, and as we said, children of all ages. In her spare time, Neil runs a family finance series for our military veterans and is currently an executive in residence at the Columbia Graduate School of Business. We're going to link up to her website, which has more information on all her books, her videos, how you can have her speak to your groups, which I strongly recommend. I've been doing for well over 30 years. Oh, and by the way, did you know that Neil has been not only a question on Jeopardy, but an answer in the New York Times crossword puzzle. Interesting. So Neil Godfrey, thank you very much, as always, for sharing your wisdom. The new book, which is a revised book of Money Doesn't Grow on Trees by Neil Godfrey, A Parent's Guide to Raising Financially Responsible Children, is out everywhere. You can find it on Amazon. If not, hit me up. I will make sure I will get you the information. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And please feel free to share this episode on your favorite social media platform. And remember, folks, no matter what, pay yourself first. Mm-hmm.